Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning. Let's try one more time. Good morning. Good, good. Well, I am Dave, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we have had a great summer. Uh, it's been amazing to see how God has worked through our day camp, these balloons, kids coming to Christ, accepting Jesus as their forever friend. That is what day camp is all about. Amen? And the great thing is, we have one more week. Now, listen to me. We have a course staff that you saw up here. They have done a great job, but they have been going for eight weeks straight. And so next week is their last and final week, so please continue to pray for them that they would finish strong. God is really using them. I'll tell you something. All of these students have been through my youth ministry, and it is such a joy as their youth pastor to see God using them. And so please continue to pray for them because I know God's got some great things in store this week for these students and in their life to come, so keep praying for that. Also, we are in the midst of our summer series entitled what? God is on the move. And we have been looking at the book of Genesis where it all started and we've looked at how God has moved. And today, what we're gonna look at is this, is how God moves with grace. But before we do anything, let's pray. Let's get off on the right foot. Let's commit our time to God this morning. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the way that you've moved through our day camp. And Lord, just look at these balloons up here to know these children have come to know you is so exciting. And Lord, I pray for our core staff and for our volunteers next week as one more time we come and we reflect you to kids that so desperately need you. But Lord, these next few moments, we have entered into your presence, we have sung praises to you, but we're gonna open your word, and I believe this with all of my heart, that when we open your word, we come face to face with you. Lord, I know that none of us are here this morning by chance or coincidence because you do not work that way. And so I, I pray that you prepare our hearts for whatever you have in store for us. Give us the ears to listen and give us the courage to live it out. Lord, remove all the distractions. Get me out of the way because we're here to hear from you this morning. Lord, you are the potter. I am the clay. And I thank you so much for that privilege. And in your name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning, like I said, we're going to talk about God's grace. Now, when I was a kid, I always confused grace with mercy and mercy with grace. I really didn't know which one was which until someone showed me an example that kind of stuck with me. And so I'm gonna do it this morning for you and I'm gonna have uh, my lovely assistant, Andrew Miller, Pastor Andrew Miller, just run down like you're on The Price is Right, Andrew. Like you're excited, run down like you're on The Price is Right. Like, I can't believe you, no, okay. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is Pastor Andrew Miller, we call him Pam, yeah, I'm sure for him. So come on over here, come on stand here. You look good today, man. You, you got those fancy shorts and wow. I think orange is your color. I think purple's yours. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> this is what we do back. We support one another. We have low self-esteem, so we build each other up. Our love language is verbal, so we're good for each other. Now, this morning what's gonna happen is this, is Andrew is gonna punch me in the shoulder. You're like, what? Yes, he's gonna punch me in the shoulder. Andrew's thinking, this is too good to be true. Um, now, Andrew has worked with me all year, so there's probably a lot of pent-up frustration this is your time to let it all out. Oh, yeah. Maybe just save a little bit because I'm not ready. Right there. Right there, okay. All right, so you're going to punch me in the arm. Now, Andrew, before I do that, could you just, what, what arm are you going to punch me with? Okay, could you uh, just flex for a minute? Just for you. You flex. No, not in front of everyone. Okay, right just there. Okay. Wow. Yeah. You've been working out, haven't you? 
You worked out this morning because you knew you were going to do this, right? I've been working out ever since you told me. Okay. All right, Andrew. So what's going to happen is this, Andrew. You're going to punch me in the shoulder, okay? Not the head, okay? Oh. <laughs> here, not here. This is too valuable, okay? So I'm going to close my eyes. I don't want to see it coming. Okay, yeah. You testing it? Okay, here we go. All right, when you're ready, go ahead. Okay, you going to do it? Oh, oh. Oh, I'm done. Oh, no. I felt it through my whole body. You're a lot stronger than you look. I know. Wow, that's going to leave a bruise. Yeah, I hope so. Oh, well, anyways, <laughs> illustration is this. Let me give you a few definitions. All right. Mercy is this. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. And grace is giving someone something they don't deserve. So, in this situation, Andrew punched me. He punched me. You all saw it. How would I show mercy to Andrew? Don't punch him back, because he deserves a good punch back. But I'm not going to do that. Okay? That's showing mercy. Giving, not giving Andrew what he deserves. Now, how would I show Andrew grace? Forgiving him, or maybe even just giving him a hug. So come here, Andrew. Can you trust me? Oh, come on. There we go. All right. All right, so let's say it for Andrew. Good job, good job. Now, mercy, and especially grace, I believe really confuses our society. And the reason why is because we live in a world that believes in justice. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. What goes around comes around. You make your bed, you lie in it. In other words, you get what you deserve. So, to show mercy to someone and not give them what they deserve is extreme. But to show them grace and give them something they don't deserve is just crazy. In fact, that's why people thought that Jesus was off his rocker when he said this in Matthew chapter five. Listen to what he says. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek or punches you in the arm, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. You see, this kind of behavior is not normal for what the world has established as normal. But here's the good news. The world doesn't determine what normal is. God does. And so this morning, what I want to do is this, is I want to focus on this idea of grace. And what I want to talk about is how God moves with grace. Now what we're going to do is this, is we're going to look at the life of Jacob again. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or your iPads, I want you to take them and I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 32. Verses 21 to 31. That's where we're going to anchor ourselves this morning as we spend time in God's Word. But before we do that, what I want to do is this, is I want to do a quick review of Jacob's life. Now, last week, Pastor Glenn did a great job talking about the relationship between Jacob and his brother Esau. Now, if you were here last week, does anyone remember what the name Jacob means? 
deceiver. All right? In fact, what it's called is this. It's, it's, it's defined as holder of the heel. And the reason he was called that was because when he came out of the womb after his brother, he was actually holding on to Esau's heel. He was grasping at it. And back in that culture, if you were called a holder of the heel, what you were described as is this, is you were described as a deceiver. And it's interesting, throughout Jacob's life, he actually lived up to his name. Because you remember what Plaster Glenn talked about last week was first, Jacob deceives his brother Esau. Remember the story? One day Esau came in after hunting. He was famished, and, and Jacob is making this red stew. And he says to Jacob, I am so hungry, give me a bowl. And Jacob goes, okay, I will. But you have to sell me your birthright. Because technically he was the oldest, Esau. And then what he does is this, is he deceives his father, Isaac. He says this, that Isaac was old and his eyes were weary. And so what Jacob did when it came time for, for Isaac to bless Esau... He deceived his father by dressing up as Esau. He wore one of his shirts that smelt like him, and he actually put animal skins, animal fur on his arms, because Esau means hairy one, all right? And so Jacob wasn't hairy, so he put it on there, and because Isaac was unable to see really well, he felt, he realized, he thought that was Esau, and so he was deceived, and what he did is this, is he blessed him, and he gave the birthright to Jacob. Now we know the story is when Esau, found, or when Esau found out about that, he was infuriated. And so Jacob has to flee. And the final one we see that's really interesting is this, is Jacob hasn't learned from his lesson, or learned his lesson yet, and so what he does finally is this, he actually deceives his father-in-law Laban as well. You see, Jacob makes this agreement with Laban to take all of the speckled and spotted goats and any lambs that were dark in color as payment for his services. But instead of just taking the ones out of the flock, what he does is this, is Jacob actually manipulates the flock to produce spotted and speckled goats and lambs that are dark in color. And so at the end of everything, what happens is this, is Jacob ends up with the healthier and more sheep than Laban has. And Laban is infuriated again. And so Jacob flees. Now, Jacob's life of deception is catching up with him. Because he is forced to confront his brother Esau. And if you were here last week, you know the outcome of that confrontation. Jacob is reconciled with Esau. But this morning, what I want to focus on is this, is what happened before the confrontation. Because this story is very, very unique. And it's found in Genesis chapter 32, verses 21, or 22 to 31. It says this, That night Jacob got up, and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the fords of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will, be no, will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Penel, saying, 
It is because I saw God face to face, and get this, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Pinnell, and he was limping because of his hip. We see in this passage that Jacob is all alone after sending his family ahead of him, and it is in that aloneness that God actually comes to Jacob in the form of a man. And it says that he wrestles with Jacob until dawn. Now, as you read this story, what you'll notice is this, is you'll notice that Jacob never gives up. But that's not a good thing. You see, what I see it as is this, he doesn't surrender to God. Doesn't surrender. Which is very reflective of Jacob's life. You see, Jacob professed that he followed God, But if you look at his life, it didn't really show it because instead of trusting God, what Jacob does is this, is he constantly manipulated and deceived to get his own way. And now what happens is this, it comes to the breaking point. Now, when I read this story about wrestling, I actually go back and think about my son, Bobby, when he was young. Uh, He would wrestle with me all the time. He would get on top of me like, oh, dad, he'd jump on my back. Now, could I beat him? Of course I could. He was five. (laughs) Now he could beat me. We don't talk about that. But he was five years old. I was 35. I had 30 years on him. I could destroy him. But you know what? I showed restraint. And so what I see here is this. Is I believe what God is demonstrating here is mercy to Jacob. By showing restraint. You see, God could have easily annihilated Jacob. But instead, what he does is this, and this is so important, is he gives Jacob an opportunity to surrender. Now, when he doesn't, God breaks him. And how he breaks him is he touches his hip and dislocates it. And it is in that brokenness that Jacob realizes whom he is wrestling and the fact that God has actually spared his life. Because after the fact, it hits him, this is God. And he's showing me mercy. And, when it's, and, it's, and it is when Jacob is broken that God actually shows him grace. And what he does is this, is he actually gives him a fresh start. Because what he does here is this, is God changes his name. Now in that culture, When someone's name was changed, it was huge because it signified a new beginning. You see, his name was Jacob, which meant deceiver. And God changed it to Israel, which means let God rule. And I think it's really interesting that God blesses him by changing his name, but he chooses not to heal his hip. You see, by changing his name, what he did is this, is God gave Jacob a new hope. But Jacob's hip was to remind him of what God had brought him out of. Because he was no longer to live as a deceiver, but rather as one who was submitted to God. You see, God moves with grace in Jacob's life. Now, what I want to do this morning for the rest of the time we have together is this, is I want to connect the dots for us. Because a lot of us are probably sitting in the auditorium right now going, okay, how does this relate to me? My hip is fine. 
I'm not going to wrestle with God like Jacob did. But here's what I want you to understand. God moves with grace in the same way in our lives as he moved with grace in Jacob's life. In fact, the Bible, I would say this, is the story of God's grace to us. And so this morning, what I want to do really quickly is this, is I want to show you three themes that we see in this story of God's grace. And everything is all about grace. The first theme is this. God loves us. It's interesting. The Bible tells us that when God created us, uh, we, were, we were the only, we were made in his image. In fact, we were the only creations, humans, that were actually made in the image of God. I don't know if you know that. And the reason why, is because, the reason we were made in the image of God is because God wanted to have a relationship with us. Because if you don't know this, God is relational. And how we know that is in Genesis, what we see is this, is every day when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God would show up and he would walk with Adam and Eve. He would just walk with them. And what that shows us is he just loved being with humans. He loved that relationship that he had with them. Because God loves us. Now, the second theme I want to give you is this. Is sin separates us. See, the story goes, when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, listen, you can eat of any tree in the garden. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of trees, but there is just one tree that I don't want you to eat from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is where our story takes a turn for the worse. Because what happens is this, is Satan comes in the form of a serpent. And he deceives Adam and Eve. He says, the reason he doesn't want you from that tree is because he's holding out on you. Because he knows if you eat from that tree, you will be like him. And it says this, that Eve saw the fruit was good, and so she took a bite. And then she passed it over to Eve, Adam, and he took a bite. And at that moment... When they disobeyed God, it says this, that their eyes were open to what evil was. Now, here's the thing. As we've grown up surrounded by evil, from the moment I was a child, I knew it was evil. But can you imagine living your life not knowing what evil was? And all of a sudden, in a split second, it was exposed to you? That would have been a very terrifying moment for Adam and Eve. And it says this, at that moment, two things entered this world. Sin and death. Now, I want to tell you what sin means. Sin means simply this. To sin means you miss the mark. And so when we sin, what that's saying is this, is God set a mark for us, and when we sin, we miss it. And so it's when we say, do, or think things that are contrary to what God desires for us. Now, here's the thing I've noticed. In church, sometimes we don't like to talk about sin because it's very uncomfortable. But let me tell you something. It is something we need to talk about because it's very deadly. It is. And there are two things about sin that I want you to know. The first thing is this, is we're all guilty of it. I don't care who you are, I don't don't care how good you think you are, we're all guilty of it, and the reason why I know that is because the Bible says it. Romans 3.23 says this, for all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And the second thing the Bible says is this, is that it leads to death. Because Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Now understand this, it's not a physical death because all of us are gonna grow old and we're gonna die physically. What this is talking about is something far more severe. It's a spiritual death. You see, the Bible tells us that our sin actually causes a separation between God and us because God is holy and he can't look upon sin. You know, when I tell this to people, they always ask me this question. God knows everything, right? I said, yep. So if God knew that Adam and Eve would screw up, why did he put the tree in the garden? Why? If he knew they were going to choose that, why just take it out and, and don't give them that option? Well, the answer is simple, and it's this. is He had to give them a choice. Because get this. You can't have a relationship without a choice. I want you to imagine this. It's my wedding day, okay? And I'm on the stage with the pastor. And my wife comes walking down the aisle. We get up on the stage. The pastor turns to me and says, Dave, will you take Lori to be your wife? And I'm all like, yeah. I actually did that. Yeah, right? Now, could you imagine if she turned to my wife and said, Lori, will you take Dave to be your husband? And she went, yeah, I guess if I have to. Now, I just, she didn't do that, just so you know, okay? She was really excited because, look, she married me, right? So she was excited. But could you imagine if she did that? What kind of relationship would that be? That would be terrible. See, understand this. God doesn't want robots. He doesn't want you to love him because you feel you have to. He wants you to choose him in the same way that he chooses you. Because God is all about relationship. And you can't have a relationship unless there's a choice. And so, the first thing, God loves us. Second thing, sin separates us. Now, if the story stopped there, that would be pretty awful. But it doesn't. Because the last thing I want to share with you is a powerful one. And it's this. Jesus died for us. Do you realize that at the moment Adam and Eve bit that fruit and sin entered the picture. The moment that happened, understand this, God put into, into action a plan that would get rid of the separation of sin and would restore our relationship with God. You're like, Dave, how do you know that? Well, a very familiar verse, and if you, even if you're not a Christian this morning, You've seen this verse because you see it at sporting events. They hold it up and they wave it around, right? John 3, 16, it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's another verse I, I, I read to you earlier, uh, Romans 6.23, and I told you I stopped because there's more to that verse, okay? The first part was this, for the wages of sin is death. That's pretty bleak. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says this, but the gift of God 
is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. It's a gift given by love. And the thing is, is this, is that it's a free gift. It's a free gift to eternal life. But here's the thing, is you can't, you can't earn it, you can't do anything to get it, you just got to receive it. But this is what I want us to get this morning, listen to me. Even though it's free, please, please do not confuse free with cheap. Because sometimes when I get a free gift, I'm like, I know why it's free, right? <laughs> this gift cost God everything. God said, okay, this gift is going to cost me my one and only son. You know, two of the greatest days of my life were when my kids were born. I have a daughter who's 19, Emma, and I have a son. They were actually up here, and a son with the long hair and the beard. Uh, that's my, my boy, Bobby. He's 16. Even though he looks like 25, he's only 16. But here's the thing. Is I'll, remember, I'll never forget when they were born. And if you're a dad, you, if you're a parent, you know this. And especially dads, because we're the first ones to hold them. When babies come out, they're kind of ugly. <laughs> in a cute way. In a cute, in, a cute, in a cute way, right? And so I remember when Emma came out, she was all purple and wrinkly. She's like, right? And so I called her my little California raisin. That was Emma. And uh, Bobby came out blue and wrinkly. He was my little Smurf, all right? So that's what it was. But I'll tell you something. When I held my son for the first time, it was the first time in my life that John 3.16 came alive to me. Get this. I only have one son. And I love my son more than words can describe. And I would not let my son die for anyone. If anything, I will die for my son. And I remember being in, the, being in the hospital, being so excited, I got my boy, and I'm looking at him, and it just hit me. I'm like, man, the fact that God would allow his one and only son to come to this earth, to be beaten and crucified for me, to deal with my sins, so that I wouldn't have to die, but I would have eternal life. That actually blew me away. And I've been a Christian for like 30 years. And I know this verse like the back of my hand. But when I held my son, I realized, wow, the love that God has for me and for you is beyond words. The fact that he would allow his one and only son to die for nothing he did, but for what we did so that we wouldn't have to? Wow, that's amazing. But here's the thing, is the story doesn't stop there because we all know about Easter, right? Yes, Jesus was crucified, one of the most painful ways to die, humiliating. He died on the cross, he was buried, he, was, he died and he was buried. But here's the great news, and we know this, on the third day, he rose from the dead. And when that happened, this is the great thing, is sin and death that entered the picture a long, long time ago was conquered once and for all. And our relationship with God was restored. That is grace at its greatest. It is. Now, all we need to do is respond to it, to receive that gift. And how we receive that gift, we do, we, we do this at day camp, it's the ABCs. 
by admitting that we're broken. Saying, you know what, I am a sinner. I get that. And then believing that Jesus is the only solution to our sin problem. And then choosing to live in obedience to God. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never heard about this grace and God, all right, we're not going to put any pressure on you. But I want to encourage you before you leave just to talk to somebody, just to ask some questions. I will be up here. I would love to talk to you about God's grace because what I know is this, is God wants us, wants us all to experience his grace. So if that's you, please come and see me. Talk to someone you came with. Don't leave without talking to someone. Now, let me close by talking to all the rest of us who have experienced God's grace in our lives. For those of us who have been Christians for maybe a few years, for those of us who have been Christians for 60 years, I want to give you a big idea that I want you to get. It's this. God's grace not only saves us, but it needs to motivate us. Did you get that? God's grace not only saves us, but it needs to motivate us. You see, when we experience God's grace in our life, it is more than just an event. It is actually a change of direction because we stop being slaves of sin and we become children of God. We sang about it before I preached. And what happens is this, is God actually changes our name. And what do we say a name change meant? It means a new beginning. The old is past. Behold, all things are new. And so that changes us. That changes the way that we live. And so for those of us who have experienced God's grace and we've been a Christian for so long, I want to leave you with two words, just two words. The first word is this, remember. And the second word is react. We need to remember God's grace every day in our lives. And I know I'm guilty of it. I've been a Christian for 30 years. And sometimes what happens is this, is I just take God's grace for granted. I'm like, yeah, he shows me grace. But what I'm realizing as I'm getting older is this, is that there should be moments in my day where I am actually overwhelmed by the grace that God has shown to me. I actually stop and think, okay, where would I be? Where would I be if God had shown me grace? That's scary. And see, what happens is this, is when we take those moments and we actually say, okay, I'm just overwhelmed by the grace that you've shown me, what happens is we will react to that grace. And what we do is this, is we actually live it out in our lives. Because this is the fact. Grace is easier to receive than it is to give. I love the fact that God has shown me grace. But if there is someone that's annoying me, I don't want to show them grace. But here's the thing that's interesting, is if we choose to do that, if we choose to show the kind, of, the kind of grace that God has shown to us, to others, we actually become a reflection 
of God to those who desperately need to see it. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Dave, 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 Dave. But you don't know the people I deal with. They don't deserve my grace. And you're right, they don't. In fact, I would say this, you don't owe it to them. But it's not about owing it to them, it's about owing it to God. Because God says this, you show grace to them because I've showed grace to you. Because I want you to reflect me. I remember someone once telling me this, it kind of scared me. They said, uh, what if, Dave, God showed you the kind of grace that you show to others? Would you like that? I was like, no, no. But God says, listen, if I'm going to show you grace, what I want you to do is I, I need you to reflect it to those around you. I'm going to land this by saying two things this morning. The first thing is this is God wants every one of us here this morning to experience his grace. Because it says, for God so loved the world. So if you're a human and you're breathing and you're on this planet, which all of us are, God wants you to experience his grace because he knows if you experience it, it'll change your life. You'll go from a slave to sin to a child of God, which is amazing. The second thing I want to say is this, is once you've experienced his grace, listen to me, God wants us to reflect it to the world around us. I want to end by simply doing this, by reminding us of the greatest demonstration of grace ever. And what I want you to do is I want to invite you to close your eyes, and we're going to end this as our prayer. And I want you to listen to these words once again. You've listened to them so many times. You've heard them since you've become a Christian. But I want you to listen to them with fresh ears. It says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen?